The Ringer Gambling Feed is your one-stop shop for all things betting throughout the NFL season from week one all the way through Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. We have you covered every which way. We got our favorite futures. We got props. We'll discuss the lines. And of course, we'll throw in a few parlays. That's a given. So whether you're a sharp or a square better, we'll be breaking it down in terms hopefully everybody can understand and we'll try to win some money along the way. So be sure to subscribe to the Ringer Gambling Feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringers Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like, me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome to the Ringer Philly Special Shield Kapati here, joined by Sean Syed of Sumer Sports. You know, I thought Sean coming out was like, I don't know if we're going to have a lot of juice here. Everyone's just like, you know, just like, oh, the season's over. We're just, you know, playing out the string. But then you get a little juice today. AJ Brown talks to reporters for, I think it was 13 minutes, talking about all sorts of interesting stuff. And now I feel like at least, listen, it's going to go one way or the other um, next week and the following week and maybe the week after that. But in the next two to three weeks, this thing could go in so many different directions that are like most of them are very, very interesting uh, on one end or the other. So I do feel like the season, for better or worse, at least got some uh, an injection of juice from A.J. Brown today. Shiel, I love it. You know, whatever that has us saying we are back is what is so important. And, you know, I think it's important. We control what we can control. We're going to do the show 
every week, win or loss, no matter what happens. But yeah, look at that. You see the tweets a little bit more positive, and now maybe I won't get run out of town for saying the word uh, encouraged this week. Well, no, you still you still will, especially when we talk about the defensive film, which we will uh, get to. But yeah, AJ Brown talked to reporters uh, a few interesting things here today. Uh, you know, the big thing was he kind of stuck up for Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson and the coaching staff in a pretty big way. It's been an interesting week, like the na- nationally, a lot of talk about like, hey, they're not actually going to move on from a Nick Sirianni uh, after he's won this many games in his first three seasons, are they? But that conversation has been, uh, you know, happening in various platforms. And so uh, that's interesting to have one of your veteran guys, one of your leaders, one of your best players come out. And basically, Sean, this was interesting. You know, he said the end of that Seahawks game, we we talked about that play after that game. Uh, he said that had nothing to do with Sirianni or Brian Johnson, that that was him and Hertz freelancing. Hertz uh, ends up throwing the interception there. If you remember, that was the play where we're like, why didn't they just try to get 13 yards and, you know, kick a field goal in that spot? Why are you going for the jugular down the right sideline? And then, you know, Nick Sirianni says, well, we were trying to draw a def- you know, maybe get a defensive pass interference penalty there. And it was like, wait, what? That was the, uh, that was the theory behind that. And so AJ Brown come, came out and kind of clarified that and said, he respects that, uh, you know, Nick Sirianni came out and like, didn't throw any players under the bus and uh, took the blame for it. He said specifically he made himself look like a fool for us, which I thought was a pretty funny quote, uh, you know, to say about your head coach. But uh, just another reminder that, you know, I think one of the things you do best is, you know, like what's supposed to happen on pretty much every pass concept in every coverage, but you don't come out and say definitively this should I am and yelling. It's like, well, we are, we're always at a little bit of an information deficit uh, with these things. So just another, you know, feather in your cap that that's the right approach to say what we think, knowing that we're not in the huddle. We don't have the play call. Yeah, sure. I do think it's really important to recognize. I thought that level of candor and vulnerability from AJ Brown, I know you spent a lot of time in locker rooms. I think that should be commended. Uh, what I will say is, you know, that doesn't address, I think, maybe a larger concern for the team, which is the defense. I think by the end of this podcast, yeah. I assume that we're both going to say that, you know, the offense actually uh, pretty clearly is not the issue and, and is successful in many different ways. So I do really, really appreciate that from A.J. Brown. I think it it always helps because we don't know what we don't know. So I agree with you. It's it's often better to take the stance of there's a lot of things that we're just never going to be able to fully understand when we're not even in the huddle, not even just the meeting rooms. But, you know, AJ, um, I'm sure hopefully that escape room involved the defense a little bit as well so they can come together too. That's right. Planning an escape room activity on Friday, apparently, as well. He said he was mad at the end of the last game, not because of the offense or because he wasn't getting targeted, but because Devontae Smith uh, got injured there. He said he apologized to teammates today because he didn't think they should have to answer questions on his behalf. He didn't talk to the media uh, after the last game. So, this is really like such a, and again, we're going to get to the film, but just my like, you know, journalism antennae of just like, man, what a spot for Sirianni here. Like this could go one way or the other. They could, whatever happens in the Giants game, it doesn't really matter that much. But uh, then that first round of the playoffs, they go to Tampa, Atlanta, New Orleans, whatever. If they get blown out there, we're thinking one thing. If the team kind of comes together a little bit, and you mentioned it offensively is where we'll because we're going to tell you what happened on D. Like, I don't, you're not going to have much hope about the defense. Let's just be honest here. <laughs> Offensively is the side of the ball where Sean, they've got, we'll see what happens with Devontae Smith. It, it doesn't look, seem as bad as it was on Sunday. But for that playoff game, it looks like you're going to have all 11 starters healthy 
for that playoff game. And when this offense is right, even for all the criticisms we have of it, and I don't back down from any of those, I think those are all valid on any given Sunday, they can really score 30 plus points just doing what they do with the players they have. They have such a talent advantage on that side of the ball. So can they get it together? Can they win a first round game? Can they be competitive or pull off an upset uh, in the second round? And all of a sudden, a month from now, we're talking about this team in totally different terms. Like all these options uh, are still on the table for better or worse. Cliff, uh, you want to come in here for a second before we get to the film? I know you said you, you know, you texted me uh, yesterday. You, you felt like you owed uh, AJ Brown an apology. This was even before he, he spoke today. Look, man, I, I owe AJ and the guys an apology just simply off the fact that I jumped to the gun. I thought, you know, that he was he was being a little bit divish, wide what they call wide redivas or whatever. I, I jumped the gun a little bit. I got to apologize. Seems like a stand up guy, stand up teammate. Never questioned his character. Never questioned any of that. And it looks like, um, you know, they kind of just went off script with whatever that play was in Seattle. Which just as a fan is very frustrating, right? Like, listen, at the end of the day, we all fans of this team. We all love I, I just sat through one of the worst games possible in Eagles history in 30 degree weather because I'm a fan of this team as well. So I just want to see these guys be great. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a man and I'll admit when I'm wrong, you know. So uh <laughs> apologies to AJ Brown, apologies to those guys. But Sirianni and them, they still don't notice to me. It's about to be Sirianni. <laughs> <laughs> Sirianni, Sirianni, Brian, they still don't notice me. So it's about to be Sirianni watch, uh, Brian Johnson watch. I don't even know who runs the defense because, as far as I'm concerned, they're clearing house at the end of the season on the defensive oh, side. Oh, it's Matt, Maddie Pencils. Yeah, it's Maddie yeah, Pencils. Yeah, I mean, he's gone. He's he's out of here. I don't, I don't even know why they. I don't even know why they brought all right. him. Uh, all right. I'm with you. No, I'm I'm with Cliff. I, I think I have no issues with AJ Brown. Like even even if he came out and said I am I am mad because I didn't get the ball, it's like how have we did we just start covering football in the NFL when you have a great wide receiver who in the offense isn't clicking and he's not getting the ball like that that's what ha- that that happens who cares he's not you know yeah, I, don't, I think as far like that range of team disruptor for a wide receiver like he's not even on that on that range like he's not doing any of that stuff who cares if he's mad uh and wants the ball so uh that was cool yeah that was enlightening from AJ Brown thank you to all the uh Eagles beat reporters for tweeting out those clips those videos those uh quotes so that we could get to that to start the show all right let's get to the film here sean all right we're gonna start with if you don't want to hear uh anything negative about this team don't listen if you want to hear about what the film looked like on this defense and what the issues were then continue to tune in here so we're gonna start with the defense what happened on defense uh in that game against the cardinals this was the third worst defensive performance by any team in a game this season based on success rate and the two worst came against the Dolphins and the 49ers offenses that Sean loves that Sean's written about, you know, 7 million and spoken about 7 million words about uh, this season about those are those offenses. Give it to a lot of teams. The Cardinals offense does not give it to a lot of teams yet against the Eagles. They drove inside the 25 on all seven possessions, four touchdowns, two field goals and interception did not punt. Uh, and so now you have, and Solak mentioned this in the post game pod, but it's worth repeating two of the five worst defensive performances by any team this season have come by the Eagles in the last five weeks. Okay. There was this one against the Cardinals and then there was week 13 versus the 49ers. So when I was ripping the Matt Patricia hire, some of you listen, I 
All right, I'm not going to say I keep receipts because I don't know who it was. But I know some of you mentioned to me, ah, oh, come on, Sheila, can't get any worse. This guy is coached Super Bowl. T-. And I said, no, 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 it actually can get worse. They're like 20, 22nd in DVOA. Like there is a there is a, a lower floor for this team and they are reaching it because now they are all the way down to 27th in defensive DVOA. All right. So let's start at the top here, Sean. Just looking at it before we get into the issues with the run defense, just when you looked at the film, what the Cardinals were trying to do, how the Eagles countered, how the Cardinals countered, what happened to Lee uh, that led to this, uh, you know, historically bad defensive performance. It really felt like we could just follow the flow chart of disaster in this game. It was a really good example of on defense, the Eagles want to play in their nickel personnel. They would prefer to keep a light box. Of course, I think that's reasonable. You want to prioritize stopping the pass. But if an offense is able to run you out of that, then on the defensive side, you're going to get into your base personnel. You're going to get into some of those five down fronts where the Eagles are not good enough or they don't feel comfortable rushing five and playing man coverage on the back end, at that point, you're going to drop one of your defensive ends because you're only going to rush forward. Then we get all those clips. We get all those great reporter questions about, well, why is this player in pass coverage and what are you doing? So you could really follow it stepwise from the start. And that first block in the Jenga tower is, can you stop the run from a light box from your four down fronts with only two linebackers on the field, maybe rotating a safety in the box? And the answer in this game was so, so loudly no that it really, really, I think, snowballed into other things. And the Cardinals did a really, really great job in multiple ways. The Eagles in their four down fronts, they're, of course, going to they're going to set one of their defensive linemen further over to the run strength, whether if that's a tight end or where, you know, they want to dissuade you from running the ball that way. Now the Cardinals run weak side. They bring a puller. They run counter a ton where they're taking a gap and moving it back to this weak side, force the defense to try and take care of it. And that's just like step one of this five-step process. I think by the end of it, what was really rough for me was just thinking, well, she'll, like, at this point, what do the Eagles defense do? Like, what do they do well? Not even like super, super well, just what do they do well? They aren't able to rush the passer at a high level right now. They're not able to cover at a high level right now. They're not able to stop the run at a high level in that game. So it's, it's, it's so, so frustrating overall when yeah. you have an offense that's top 10. All you need is league average defensive play. Like that is really all you need. And it was so clear in this game that that is just, it's just not in the cards right now. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you laid it out well. Cardinals want to run the football. You want to play uh, in your nickel personnel. They run the foot. Like you, you can't stop them doing that. So you say, all right, well, how can we stop them? Let's go a little bit heavier in our base. You start to go base, and then they start throwing the football a little bit more on early downs, and Hassan Reddick is dropping into coverage, whatever it was, seven, eight, nine, ten times in that game, and they take advantage of you there. Like It wasn't, I, I mean, it, it's probably more complicated than just that, but really, like that. I mean, that's what it was like, you know, coaches explain that type of thing all the time. I mean, when Chip Kelly uh, was here, that well, why do you want to use multiple tight ends? Easy. You know, you get your big people on the field against their small people. You run the ball, you get you, you know, and if they counter, well, our tight ends are more athletic than their linebackers. We throw the ball. It's not always that simple in this game. That is sort of uh, how it played out. And so uh, you look at that, that that's from the big picture perspective of what happened. Let's get to the run defense a little bit more here, Shawnee. Uh, Cardinals run 40 times for 221 yards. And you're right. I don't know who designs their run game or like who the O-line coach is, but it, it did look sort of like when the Eagles have those games where they run for 200 yards and you're just like, man, their offensive line is killing. Man, they're getting to every block. And that's what it looked like 
from a Cardinals perspective, like they were on their tight end. I mean, I didn't know Trey McBride could uh, really block like that. Honestly, like I hadn't watched him a lot on film. I know he's putting up big numbers as a receiver, but he was taking it to some of these Eagles defensive backs and linebackers. So uh, you mentioned what the issue, you know, some of the issues were with the run game. What were some of the other issues and what were the other buttons that Matt Patricia could have pushed to kind of counter this? Because there was no point in this game where they made an adjustment uh, that worked. Yeah, I think starting at that ground level from your nickel personnel, is your defensive line able to, you know, eat up multiple defenders and make life a little bit easier for the linebackers? To me, that answer was pretty clearly no for a lot of this game. That means that when you get that puller from the backside working through that open space, they have really good angles on the linebacker. And then you have James Conner, who, Sheila, I feel like James Conner, if you like height and weight him uh, compared to all the Eagles, he looks like he should be playing middle linebacker out there. He was He's really freaking good player. I love I really like watching James. Conner. I even said it yeah, last week, I think when we talked uh, before this game, like. Yeah, I, I don't know. He's a, he's a, uh, I thought it was a weird contract when the Cardinals first signed him and then they re-signed him and I'm like, you're giving him that much money. But every time I watch that guy play, he's doing something well. So yeah, you're, you're right. He could have been playing linebacker for the Eagles. Yeah. I thought he earned every single dollar of his game check and, and certainly much more in this game. I guess what I'm thinking of, well, what answers do a defense go, right? You go from your nickel personnel, you get heavier, you go to base. The Cardinals respond to that by keeping those heavy personnel sets. So they have two tight ends. They have three tight ends in the huddle, but now they spread out and pass. So you're just off, kind of off your game, no matter what they're going to do. And then later in the game, I like that the response was then, okay, we need to be able to balance against the run and the pass. Let's get into our penny fronts, which is that five down with only one linebacker. So you have six in the box. You still have a nickel on the field. But then at that point, it is just like, uh, can you tackle this player in space? And the answer to that question was no, pretty pretty often so I was thinking about it okay well what things could you maybe maybe have done maybe you see Sidney Brown just like in the box a little bit more I feel like every game now Sidney Brown just running with his hair on fire is something that that stands out to you and he's definitely a player that want that is more than happy to be in the box of course has that awesome pick six so when I think about it from a personnel versus coaching perspective I'm actually not sure what really what else you could do on the coaching side because the the answers made sense to me. You know, you move from your nickel to your base. You can't do it in base. You get to your penny front where you had that kind of balance. If you can't stop the run there, then you're kind of kind of out of luck. And chill. The most frustrating thing to me of all the frustrating things is it wasn't like Kyler Murray just ran over them because when you look at a Cardinals team and they have 200 yards, you would think, okay, you know, maybe Kyler got you on a zone read and ran for 70 yards. That was not the case. It was just really snap after snap that gap scheme using counter moving those gaps force your linebackers to work through a little bit of traffic get better angles for the offensive line just blocking down everyone and then you know if you can't win win one-on-one blocks and you can't win on one tackles it's just it's it was it was a long day for all of us i know probably the longest for cliff but certainly long in that eagles film room uh this week i mean they're linebackers i don't remember them getting off a block all day long i mean they were they were just uh, getting killed. And then up front continues to just be such a massive disappointment where you've invested so much in these players, whether it's money, whether it's draft capital. And again, you had every defensive lineman and edge player healthy for this game. Like this is not other teams in the NFL. They can use the injury excuse. And I guess if you want to use it at linebacker, you can, but I mean, they didn't lose like Fred Warner and Roquan Smith. I mean, all due respect to the guys who got injured, but linebacker had been an issue early in the season, but up front for that defensive, I mean, this Cardinals offensive line, like 
This is not filled with pro bowlers. I mean, Paris Johnson is a first round pick. Other than that, I mean, Will Hernandez, like they're, these are not guys who are being paid a ton of money. These are not guys who were drafted in the first or second round. These are not guys with pro bowls under their belt. And to get just kind of beat up up front by them, uh, I, I don't, yeah, like, I don't know how you explain that. And it's been happening all season long. We've been talking about it uh, all season long. There's no doubt. Uh, it's been a big issue. I think you're, I mean, you're, you know, and I know you're uh, treading softly and saying there's, you know, coaching perspective, probably not. I mean, I, I think you're right about Sidney Brown. Like you gotta, you need to try something to disrupt them uh, at some point there. Um, so there were some other buttons they they could have pushed that they did not push. But uh, yeah, when you're getting beat up that badly up front, it's going to be a tough go. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and Sean is going to explain to us why Hassan Reddick a man who gets double-digit sacks and has ended games and has disrupted games consistently since he uh, stepped foot on the field for the Eagles and previously was dropping into coverage over and over and over and over again in this football game. Get in on all the NBA buzzer beaters, ankle breakers, and tomahawk jams with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. Listen, you can just use that promo, Sixers Knicks. Friday, come on, if Embiid's in the lineup, where are they, 21-5? and He doesn't even play the fourth quarters. Just go ahead and use it there or use it on whatever you want. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. Find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash RingerPhilly and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. All right. We're back on the Ringers. 
Philly special. Now, you, you, you did explain uh, uh, this a little bit here, Sean, but Hassan Reddick, I can't remember the number. Was it seven? Was it eight? Was it nine? Was it 10? Whatever. It was the most he's ever dropped into coverage on the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, man, I just know from talking to pass rushers over the course of my career, this is not something they enjoy doing. Uh, this is not something they want to be doing. Uh, and I think Hassan Reddick, I'm sure, is absolutely no exception. And so why, why, Sean, did we see Hassan Reddick like 12 yards off the line of scrimmage in space trying to get like the zone feel of whether a tight end is running behind him or not? How does this happen that many times? Why was he doing that? Chill, you know, before we even get into that, a few weeks ago, you really said, okay, if someone's going to end up with a bit different usage it's going to be ready dropping into coverage so hats off to you there i will say well no i i and i did too i said if someone's going to be mad about this this uh transition to matt patricia just based on that first time he called the game it was going to be hassan reddick and yeah that's been a pretty constant theme in these three games so i get a lot of stuff wrong but i did i did get that one right yeah we got to take our wins too but yeah so okay so in a three four and out like you have your three down linemen those interior guys you have two outside linebackers walked up call it a five two call it whatever you want but really that five down front with those two outside linebackers where reddick is one and sweat is one of course they both want to get after the passer but an offense or an outside linebacker in a three four is like is going to drop that is not a bug of the system that is a hundred percent a feature now it does not have to be a feature that you like you can disagree with it and say well we don't want to get into that if you were to say well why is he rushing or why is he not rushing in that case you either drop someone else they did have some situations where they drop brandon graham out but if you say get into your five down fronts and rush five now on the back end you only have six guys you're playing cover one you don't really have that kind of low field player who can maybe cut off some routes and the eagles are consistently exposed on so that is is an issue that is is tied together. Like you probably don't get him dropping out if you can stop the run from your regular four down fronts. But then once you have to turn to the five down front, the Cardinals did a really good job of keeping that same personnel that that this looks like we're going to run the ball before we break the huddle and get into a formation. And then when you get to empty out of there, the Cardinals had a good idea of, well, Reddick's going to be the dropper here because they're not going to rush five because this defense doesn't look like it's going to drop five or uh, rush five and only play coverage with six. And candidly, the personnel is just not at the place where they can play man coverage over and over. So again, I think the important thing to remember is it is a feature of this. It's like it happens across the league. You'll get clips of the Packers every single week where an outside linebacker is dropping in a coverage and they get beat. So if you can't stop the run from your light boxes, like you don't you don't get the privilege to have all that fun kind of coverage stuff. This is one of the things that offenses can kind of force on you. And now that is just a conversation of, well, should the whole entire system change? Maybe, but to me, it goes back to, well, they, they don't have something they can hang their hat on. Like the, the Cowboys against the, the Lions, they get all these tackle for losses and they'll just sit in their five down front. They'll be as aggressive as possible. They'll deal with some of the lumps of that, but they can actually get after the passer. They can get those sacks and they can squeeze windows and man coverage. But if you can't do any of that, Shiel, you're going to keep on getting situations that end up like this, where every team may not exploit it the same way that Arizona did a really, really good job of forcing them into these looks where the defense is in base personnel. Now Arizona is going to get into empty. So we're going to see, I guess, back and forth, see what the Giants do and see what happens in the playoffs. But it's absolutely something where if an offense can just run over your nickel personnel, then you're going to have a bad time. I mean, this was Arizona. We were talking about the Kyle Shanahan's and the Ben Johnson's, uh, you know, in this Cowboys offense, uh, potentially 
in the playoffs. Like, I mean, whew, this is like th- those are teams with much more talented players, with very good offensive coaches and schemers. And for those who listen, extra point taken, you know, you do not want your defense being compared to the Packers. Uh, if you have listened to me over the last month of the season, that is not the one. Now, I did want to touch on what you said about the Cowboys because I heard uh, I heard you and Tej uh, talking about this about their uh, like their approach against the Lions, and I thought this was pretty interesting. Where you were saying they kind of took like a high risk, high reward approach. Where like if you looked at the numbers afterwards, you know the Lions had explosive plays, but they also had a bunch of negative plays where it was like. You know, we're just, we're gonna we're gonna live with some of those, but we're gonna kill some of these drives because we're gonna live in the backfield and really disrupt their uh, run game. Is there like some? Now I, I know they play man coverage and they've got more uh, talented players on the back end, but like just in terms of that general approach, is there something to that for the Eagles right now? When you look at all the deficiencies they have and the way they're trying to play and line up and play, and they can't really do it. Is there something too like you should like that's kind of the type of approach maybe uh, they would be best served to embrace here down the stretch because the other way it just flat out is not going to work. You know what? If you give up some explosive plays, some touchdowns, it's like a Johnny Gans. Your offense is going to get the ball back. You know, you're going to get more possessions on offense. If you get more possessions on offense, like the sample is going to be larger and you have a good you have a good offense. You have good players. What do you think about that? Can they like take little pieces of that? Or is that just like, no, that worked for the Cowboys, but that would be a disaster for the Eagles. Well, I I think in week one, I think if we discussed it, that certainly would have been something. Not that, it, oh, this takes like a ton of time to put in. But at this point, the defensive line, I think, has, has kind of told us via performance that maybe they're not able to kind of do that right now in these situations. And because I think you think of, well, what if we took like a top end defensive coordinator, whether it's uh, McDonald or say even our our good friend uh, Jim Schwartz on the defense, and they have these guys playing really aggressive, get those defenders up the field. Don't worry as much about gap integrity, create some havoc. If you get a tackle for loss on fir- first and 10, just one time on a series, that changes the whole level of it. I'm just not sure that the Eagles defensive line can do that right now. So in theory, Shield, 100% yes, I would love that. I love the risk reward aspect of it because defense is already so hard. I'm <laughs> like slowly leaning away from the make them take 14 snaps. Get yes, down the field. we're converting <laughs> you. I love because it. Stop playing I, that I, loser I that football. <laughs> make some plays, baby. The Eagles, the Eagles have <laughs> radicalized me in, in so many ways this year. But even like you, you see it across the league where you have to be able to create some level of an explosive on the defensive end. And again, they can rush for three consecutive first downs. If on the fourth first down, you get a three-yard TFL, the whole entire drive has changed. And that is something that we saw from the Cowboys in that example. So yeah, you know, you don't have Michael Parsons there. And I don't know, can, there we saw against Miami where Reddick kind of got upfield pretty quickly and was able to make tackles for loss against the Dolphins, where on those same plays, it felt like the Cardinals did a little bit, a better job kind of pinning down sweat a little bit. So I, I think so. You know, in your nickel, maybe you can... You can do that, but certainly I think that the personnel on the back end precludes you a little bit from doing that, but then also the guys up front uh, are unfortunately a big issue there as well. Which, Shield, that, that's so surprising to me. You know, that, that's that's not what I, I was know. promised here. That is not yeah. what, I, what I came on here to talk about early in the season, and, and I think it's unfortunate. I'm sure it's, you know, injuries piling up, all the snaps piling up. You got the last season goes into February. You're like, everything just gets kind of messy from a timeline perspective. I can continue to as many excuses as possible, but I have uh, just less weeks to kind of to make up excuses for these guys. 
It's hard. It's really hard to put a finger on. I mean, like, like I said, there, it's not injury. I mean, there, unless it could be, they're playing with injuries. Sure. That's yeah, they could be, and that could be, uh, affecting them, but man, they've got like the best injury luck in terms of who's on the field of any front in the NFL. And they've invested more in the front than any team in the NFL. And you just get pushed around like that by the Arizona freaking Cardinals. Oh man, that is, that's really where everything begins there. All right. So that was a good explanation from you uh in terms of Reddick. Yeah, I mean if you if you just say, hey, what if you're playing a five man front, just have Reddick rush the passer. I think the key point you made there is well that limits what you can do from a coverage standpoint. Are you going to be able to play man coverage? I mean you could play a little, you know, three deep, three under uh fire zone, but now you got do you want fewer bodies? In zone coverage, I mean, they, they could put 10 guys back there and you can still find gaps uh, in their zone coverages. So that's not the answer. Man coverage, we know, is not the answer with the guys you have on the back end. So, uh, yeah, they are certainly a little bit limited there. But just when you're talking about the Cowboys, I mean, Reddick, if you just told Reddick, like, hey, we're going to play a scheme where your job is to create negative plays, like that's what that man wants to hear. And that's what he's good at. And like, I understand if he's really frustrated uh, about what he's being asked to do and how he's being asked to uh, play here. There's no doubt about it. All right, so we'll see if they continue to do that or not. Like I said, I said it to you. I said it to Solak. If I'm Reddick's agent, I didn't get the call and just go make a play. I mean, it couldn't be, it literally cannot, before it could get worse when we're having the Decide-Patricia conversation. In terms of last week's game, it really, it almost cannot get worse. I mean, you're talking about like, unless you give up 70 to the Dolphins, there's it's not going to look much worse than it did in that game against the Cardinals. All right, uh, a couple more things here on the defense. There's always this conversation, scheme versus personnel. What is it right now uh, with the Eagles? And so I wanted to get into that uh, a little bit here. Personnel, listen, the personnel is not good at linebacker. Uh, the personnel right now is not good at cornerback, uh, which some of that was, you, you should have gone into the season knowing you could see a decline in either James Bradbury, Darius Slay, or both. I mean, listen, I, I, Again, I don't want to be like, oh, I saw this because I saw a lot of stuff wrong. But that was one thing. It's just historically, that's how it goes. I mean, I gave the numbers in August, how many corners over 30 are playing like 500 snaps on the outside. It's like it's like a handful of guys. It doesn't happen. And that's because either they're injured or their play declines and teams don't give them money anymore to play that position. We saw this back in like my first years covering the Eagles with Namdi Asamoah. I mean, when it goes for a corner, it goes very quickly. And so um, that's part of it, uh, certainly. And you're not deep there. I, I don't really have an issue with, they tried to build the depth and take a bunch of dart throws on young guys. And I don't really have an issue with that. I think that's a fine strategy, but like, did those guys hit? Not, not really. Like you would have wished that you would have found someone that we're talking about now, like, Hey, this, you know, day three pick, they picked, you know, they got all these guys and this guy emerged and is playing really well. And that just hasn't happened. So uh, they have an issue at corner. They have an issue at linebacker. The defensive line is uh, underperforming. I still look at this, uh, Sean, and I say, you mentioned Jim Schwartz. You mentioned Vic Fangio, Mike McDonald. I mean, they should not be the 20, whatever it is, 28th defense in DVOA. I just don't believe. I, there are far less talented defenses playing better than that. I'm looking at the Vikings and Brian Flores. And I know they've come back down to earth, but we're looking at a big sample here. I mean, give me a break. Would they trade their defensive roster for yours in a heartbeat? I mean, they, uh, Kwesi would just, I mean, first, yeah, let's do that. We don't even need to have like a five minute conversation. The Patriots, I mean, look at who the Patriots are playing and look at what they did to Josh Allen last week. You have more talent than the Patriots. 
the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, look at the Raiders numbers this year. They're like 11th in defensive DVOA and they have Max Crosby and like 10 guys who I don't know how many of them like would even start for this Eagles team just based on talent alone. Even the Colts, like Gus Bradley, I've made fun of Gus. Everyone's made fun of Gus Bradley at one point or the other. He seems like a great guy, but we know he plays a very vanilla scheme throughout his career. They are better than you in defensive DVO. They got nobody. I mean, they got a few guys on the defensive line. They have nobody at linebacker. You know, their corner, I could not name their corners. It's my job to try to know as much as I can about every, I don't know who's playing cornerback for the Indianapolis Colts. And so uh, I do think coaching, I think it's a combination of the both. I think if you told me you got good coaching on the defensive side of the ball, this should be a mediocre defense. This should be in that, you know, maybe 15 to 20 range. This should not be one of the five worst defenses um, in the NFL. And Sean, some of the other things we saw in film that, you know, I was either texting you or putting on the spreadsheet. Like there's a snap in this game where Cardinals come out in 13 personnel. And I mean, it's like the Eagles saw a ghost. Like they don't know how to line up. I mean, Nicholas Morrow and Kevin Byron, they're going, well, you, you know, he's pushing them over. No, I'm staying here. No, you. And it's like, oh, the ball snapped. Oh, like how this, I mean, the mo there's a motion in this game early on where Nicholas was it Nicholas Moro and Avante Maddox are both running with the motion guy in me. It's just a motion. This isn't like, you know, some new Mike, Mike McDaniel thing. That's going to, this is you look to me, tell me if I'm wrong, but it looked to me like a regular mo. I mean, play action, bootlegs, all those things we talk about when we talk about the offense and say, Hey, these are easy buttons you could do to confuse defenses. All those things confused the Eagles, and they all confused them on Sunday when you watched the film. So uh, I've been rambling for 20 minutes. You've been just uh, sitting there. You're probably like, Sheila, you could have told me you were going to do this. I could have got a snack. Uh, I am joined. I am your guest on the pod, so I apologize for that. But um, I don't know if you have anything to react to there. Scheme versus personnel versus why does this defense look so confused with what are relatively simple things, um, you know, the, uh, this late into the season? Yeah, the first part is I think that you're right. And when you look at the defensive roster, like we're not saying that, okay, they are, they should be a top five defense. Like that is not what is being said. I agree with you. They should be, I think, at the, even at the top end, like around league average, which again, that's all you need from, from this defense when your yeah. offense is, is working well. So it's, it is frustrating. But even when you start there, right? Defense is so much about what you have to do and not just what you want to do. So you can't just draw up all of these kind of fancy things. You are limited by the players that are there. And there were, I guess, some claim, some complaints that kind of came out of the locker room that were like Sean Desai was overloading them with information. Well, Sheila, I think maybe they could have used a little bit more information in dealing with empty and things like that. Because as you said, when the Cardinals got into empty, when they motioned into empty, it felt like like, I mean, it felt like the first game of the season in a lot of ways where they were hammering out a lot of things. And I think that maybe makes a little sense. So of course, they're going through a transition uh, between their their coaches that are calling the defense. So just so many issues overall. And then if you think, even if we say, all right, well, the best they can do is is middle of the pack, then you turn to to coaching and, and figure it out. But she, I keep on leaning on what do they do? Well, like, what can they lean on? Yeah. And to me it's nothing like they lean on the offense being able to score more points than the other team it's not even a defense where i think you can say hey we are just so so aggressive and we're just trying to get one tip ball like at this point they're not even kind of able to do that and i'm sure i'm not saying hey you need to blitz six i'm not saying you need to be brian flores as i think you point out well the teams are doing a really good job those these last three weeks of figuring out what the vikings are doing 
on defense, but it's, it's, I think it's frustrating and I kind of trip over words because it doesn't feel like there's a lot of answers. And I lean first towards personnel in this situation, just because when I look at, well, this is the issue that was presented. This is how the defense responded. But then it's like, okay, well, player in the space is not able to make the tackle. Player in the space is not able to make the coverage. Change the coverage technique. Player is still not able to make the coverage. So <laughs> I just I just don't have positive things on this one. I guess, you know, if I could end this rant on uh, my response rant with one sign of encouragement, I mean, regression is going to hit this team next year. It has to, right? You can't you can't be defense number twenty nine two years in a row. So uh, fl- flip the flip the coin, roll some dice. They'll, they'll hopefully land them in the middle of of the pack next year. We'll see. I mean, the court, they signed these corners. Are but I mean, you could take your medicine with Bradbury. I guess Slay's going to be there. You got Bradbury. I don't know what your options are at linebacker uh, and safety. We'll see what the defensive line uh, looks like. But like the third down stuff, yes, that I mean, you would you can't really be. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't be that bad two years in a row. Uh, I did like your point about like the explosive plays on offense, kind of compared to like putting that on defense. Like, yeah, just you know. All right, like, can you force a negative play at some point in this drive to uh, to really? Uh, although, then again, they've been bad on third and long, but it does feel like some semblance of that type of approach is at least at least worth trying here, uh, because when they just line up and play, uh, they're not able to do it. And I will say, like, you know, you're saying, all right, like the players, you ask them to do this technique and they can't do it, and you ask them to do that technique and they can't do it. So it's personnel. I mean, it, it's still like. Your job is like position, like the staff is supposed to be, you know, like Keely Ringo on that touchdown. Like that's not good technique, right? Like the way he was, it was a zero blitz and he's flat footed and lets the guy uh, inside. So like those types of things. And, you know, it's, it certainly is the player's responsibility and uh, they're young at certain spots, but at the same time, like these should be things that when you watch well-coached defenses, even if it's not the most talented players, those aren't the mistakes that they're making. Like you can live with, if Keely Ringo's getting beat on a jump ball or, you know, whatever, a double move, like those types of things you can deal with. Um, some of the stuff you're like Eli Ricks on the, his, his technique on the, the, the play that got bounced to the outside. I mean, that's not a good technique in terms of tackling. So you see that stuff popping up way too much here. Like bad angles, bad tackling confusion before the snap guys pointing like this is all these are all signs of a poorly coached defense and it's only gotten worse here in recent weeks all right a couple individual things i wanted to get to here um yeah cliff put in the chat that he's nicholas morrow stinks uh morrow was a disaster in this game there's no doubt about it. i mean what else is there to say uh say about it Avante Maddox did not play well, uh, I thought, at all in this game. Now, it was his first game back. I'm not crushing the guy. He comes back from injury. It's tough. Um, but just to you know, say what we saw in film, Avante Maddox was not good uh, in this football game. And then the last guy I want to talk about, Sean, because there's been a lot of conversation uh, about him. Brian Baldinger on the PHLY uh, podcast with Bo and Zach was like really harsh. I thought, you know, like really crushing Jordan Davis saying he he's got to be getting fined. He's overweight. He's not conditioned, uh, that kind of thing. So, uh, here's my take. I want to hear what yours is. Cause you're watching them on film every week too. I thought he was very bad in this game. There's no doubt about it. It might've been his worst game of the season. I mean, there was a screen pass in the second quarter where I was like, wait, this is the second quarter. It looks like Jordan Davis has played like seven overtimes. Like he's got nothing, uh, in the tank here. And it was really that whole drive. He just looked like, like, I don't know if he was gassed, uh, conditioning, whatever. He looked bad there. Um, it's been eight straight games where he has not touched the quarterback, no quarterback hits, no sacks in eight straight games. 
having said that, Jordan Davis hasn't been like a, a disaster this year in my assessment. Like I think he's been a solid, if you were saying solid starting caliber run defender, that's basically how I would describe Jordan Davis. He's he's you know capable of being out there early downs. He's not affecting the quarterback much, but he's been pretty good or you know at least solid against the run for most of the season. And this was a terrible game he had. So uh, to the where we started the pod about we're always at an information deficit. This could be one where it comes out, hey, Jordan Davis is playing with an injury. It, it might not. It could just be conditioning. It, it could be that he didn't just had a bad game. Um, but it could also be at this point in the season. I always wonder at this point in the season when a guy plays like that, like, is there an injury situation? He got injured in the game, but um, even before that, he did not look good. So um, just kind of what do you think? You, you watch Jordan Davis uh, every snap he's played this season uh, for your appearances here, and you, you watched him on Sunday. Um, what do you think about what I said, or where do you kind of stand on him? Yeah, I, I try to never bring in the E-word effort because I, I never really doubt I agree. The, 100%. Yeah, the amount of work that these guys put in, like they're hustling and even better than that in this situation, like we have we talked about early in the season, like how is Jordan Davis like attacking this screen right now? And I think you're right. I think he would probably agree that on those clips, like, yeah, it looks like he's he's playing even even further into maybe a season than he's obviously he's used to outside of last season. So to me, I think it, it is a little bit of a gas in the tank thing. Of course, injury is a, a I think it's a fair speculation at this point. I think it's, as I keep saying now, frustrating feels like my my word of the day uh, on this one. But yeah, he's a player that has been able to make those kind of like run run a guy down plays super, super surprising. Like we watched him chase down Josh Allen. Yeah, late that's in a right. Game. That was what, yeah. like three, four weeks ago. I mean, that wasn't like week two. Yeah, so yeah, you're so right. That, to that, I mean, of course, you know, would a player's effort, would it go up or down in certain situations? Maybe, but to me, I've seen enough from Jordan Davis to feel like, all right, that's not the issue. So then you start thinking, yeah, maybe, you know, it's a little bit of the, he's just not a hundred percent there. I, I think of it more kind of what's in the gas tank. It, yeah. He played like <laughs> not, not what you want, not what you want. Chill. And as yeah. I said, that first block of the kind of whole pyramid is, or the Jenga tire, whatever you want to talk about here, is that what can your defensive line or have a stud linebacker, obviously not the case here, but is your defensive line able to help you out in those light box situations? Once that, starts to be more of an issue i thought the cardinals were smart and really making life hard on those two interior guys throughout the game from in those four down fronts so not not the best day for him you know you hope that whatever it is if there's a little bit rest next week a little bit you know fewer snaps whatever whatever it can be where we've seen i think obviously a lot higher ceiling from him where i don't doubt the effort that's not what i'm thinking of in this situation just a just a, a rough roll kind of this late in the season yeah i'm with you on effort especially not to keep going back to my glory days as a uh, beat writer here, Sean, but that was one that, that is like an eye opener when you're around the athletes, like every day throughout the course of a season and watching them. Like I honestly, I'm sure, I'm sure there were a couple, I couldn't name to you players who I thought like were bad effort players or didn't try. Now, is there like a snap here or there where you're like, all right, this wide receiver, you know, he's running the clear out route and he's not giving full effort or he, that's not great as a blocker. Yes. But I mean, that's not like, uh, I don't know. Like most of the time, these guys are like locked in and giving everything they have. This is like, this is their life um, for most, most of them are just trying to like make it in the league. You have your stars, but most of them are trying to make it in the league and they're doing everything they can. And so, yeah, I never, uh, even, even that's why it feels like every time a team plays poorly, someone, oh, they're, you know, they quit, they're quitting. They're not, it's like, that's usually not the case. Usually it's just that they're, you know, like not good enough. The other team's better. They're not put in positions to succeed. 
uh, all those things. And I do think that stood out with this defensive film and really with the team in general right now. And one of my big questions is when players get very frustrated, oftentimes in at least what I think is that they feel like the coaches do not have answers to help them get better individually or to help the team get better overall. And so like that is that is a question that will define the next two to three weeks uh, of the season or longer than that if they make some kind of miracle run. Because that is something that I have wondered, not just watching the defense, but watching the offense as well. It's like when the players get to that point where even a position coach, you know, like Chris Long has talked about this, like in very funny terms, uh, you know, I think as a player, but on his pot, just like sometimes like, you know, as a, and I've heard players say this, like they know that their position coach, like can't help them get better. Like they're, they're like, this guy, like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like you always think these are the best and the brightest that get to the NFL level. Uh, that's not the case. Some of them are, it's politics, it's connections, it's who you know, but like for a great player and you're going to tell him and they're like, that's no, that's wrong. That's not going to help me get better. So that's something, uh, kind of a theme I have my eye on here. I'm not calling out any specific coach or anything like that, but that is something that comes to mind when I look at a, a team with players that are uh, frustrated and a team that's not performing well. All right. I think that was everything with the defense. My goodness. Sorry. But listen, we had to, this is what we do. We look at it. When you have a performance like that, we can't just sweep it under the rug. All right. Let's get to the offense here. Um, a little bit, Sean, overall, like watching the film on the offense, you're like, offense played pretty well. Like, what was the offense supposed to do? You know, they had what, uh, six possessions, I think, and they had three touchdowns, a field goal, six real possessions, and they had three touchdowns, a field goal, and two punts. Like that type of uh, Sean, there they had the fifth highest success rate. I think I wrote this down uh somewhere here. They had the fifth highest success rate of any offense in a game this season. Like what they were doing was working pretty much the entire game. Having said that, there's a sequence that everybody was upset about, and I think rightfully so. So let's start there. First and 20. It was first and 10. They call a run play. Uh, Jordan Mailata gets called for a holding. So you get to first and uh, 20 against the Cardinals. This is after the Johnny Gans. Onside, you know, John. I'm just saying, Johnny Gans. Like this, this type of mindset would have been helpful in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. Like when you just let the Chiefs run out the clock, that that high risk, high reward thing. That was precisely the time for that. You know what I mean? If they score, your offense, which has been lights out, gets the ball back. But hey, we all evolve. It's a new year. I'm not Johnny Gans. Got it done. Uh, and so maybe he learned from that experience, but I thought that was a nice move by him with the onside kick. So you're already in field goal range. It's a tie game. There's 413 left in the game. Uh, and you in our doc had a you know, a really detailed thing. So I'm just gonna turn it over to you. What you thought about at that point, the sequencing, uh, what happened for the offense at first and twenty. Yeah, I think prefacing it, I do think at the 30-yard line, to me, you're in field goal range there. You have probably the best kicker in the league. I think that uh, maybe you say something, well, there's wind kind of coming in our face. Uh, to me, when I was watching it again, they may have different knowledge in pregame or anything. To me, it felt like they're in field goal range. So I think that is really informative of how you do it. And there was, you know, there was someone who asked a really good question uh, to Brian Johnson of like, okay, well, do you take into account that the defense has had kind of a poor day? And his, I think he pretty much just said no, which to me, okay, the offensive coordinator does not have to take that into account. To me, that's at the head coach level where the head coach has yes. to say, look, we need a touchdown. And then Sheila got to thinking, if they threw three passes and they were all incomplete, they didn't run a second off the clock, 
I don't think we would have gotten on here and killed them for that. Because to me, that's like, well, you recognize that a field goal is a loss in that situation because there is really nothing that you've seen all day that's going to stop the offense on the other end. But Shilly asked me to go through the downs. So and we, by we, the we, way, we and well, hold downs. on. And by the way, if you do that, you have more time on that last drive. Like it's almost like a, you know, like a two for one uh, in the NBA. I think our you know, friend of the pod, Dayton is uh, phrased it that way. And he's right. Like there was four thirteen left. This was not, you were at their, you know, 30 or whatever it was with four thirteen left. Like there's pretty much no scenario where you're able to just run out the clock. You don't have enough yards to run out the clock and the Cardinals have three timeouts left and the two minute warning. Like you, even if you run the ball and keep getting first downs, you're, you cannot mathematically, you cannot run out the clock in that situation. So to your point, if you throw three incompletions, uh, there, and then you kick the field goal and the Cardinals get the ball back and they score a touchdown. Well, now you're getting the ball back again and you're down four and you have a better chance to win the game. So yeah, I, I thought it was a, just a, I'm with you. I think you need to go into that spot saying we need to be aggressive. The Cardinals have just scored on three straight drives. We have literally have not stopped them the entire day, except for one fluky uh, interception. We need to be aggressive here. So, uh, okay, so let's get to the calls there now that we got uh, the game theory stuff out of the way. Yeah, so first and 20, you're on the 30-yard line at this point. And then even on that first and 10, that's real tough on my lot when a running back bounces as a lineman. Life's hard for the lineman. Don't, don't blame them too much. Mm-hmm. On that one, it happens. Uh, on that first and 20 call, they go pin and pull with the running back leading up. They ran it, I think, on the previous drive as well for, I think they got something like eight yards. So Hertz, you know, followed his blocks pretty well. That edge player did a really nice job where, like, as Hertz is passing by, the edge player ends up kind of hitting him. So that was like a, a surprise big hit where you see Hertz's body kind of jerk a little bit. But he does a good job. Like, you have to tempo it a little bit. You have to delay because the running back is leading up there and squeeze through a good space. So you can't just kind of full speed run through that and I think that a little bit informs that second and 16 at this point they run counter bash shield Kapadia's favorite uh run concept that has ever existed you got that running back going one way you're running counter the quarterback can keep it going the other way and the blocking it's all set up it's beautiful but Buda Baker did a really nice job a good example of a defense saying well we're gonna go ahead and create a negative uh on this and he gets yeah, that run through point. so this one was this one was kind of interesting and she I feel like I wouldn't be mad kind of going Either way on this one, to me, it feels like like Baker Buddha is he is there and, you know, he is changing directions a little bit while Hertz is accelerating. But I think I'm forgiving a little bit forgiving on this where Hertz can't just go full speed through it. Same as the last play. He's got to, you know, let the blocking kind of kind of move a little bit. Part of me wants to see him, you know, just <laughs> as I said, like just torpedo it, get your kind of straight arm there and try and stiff arm him and, and get more vertical at the same time. You know, we saw Dallas Goddard have uh, like split his forearm in half uh taking out a straight arm and so like do i feel comfortable saying have the franchise quarterback doing that maybe not in this situation but it really felt like he bows his path absolutely because he has that free runner it wasn't like he was just really dedicated to bouncing to the outside he had physical runs earlier in the game as well so this one it felt like you know could you say hurts should have just ran through that maybe but to me it feels like you, you didn't have really that many other options when when Buda Baker really just presents through that a gap right away right away she i'm not sure if you if you agree with me uh on that one yeah i feel a little different yeah you yeah, know Solak did a good job he he saw this uh after the game and and this is the play he mentioned in the post game pod you do watch it on film and there's there's definitely like another scenario where hertz gets through there and just like hits it 
And that uh, it, it really could have scored, I thought. I mean, I don't know what you thought. Like, the blocking was good on that. It's definitely an explosive play. It's a chance that it scores. And so I know, like, usually when the coaches say that kind of thing, I'm like, shut up, that's nonsense. And I, I still want to talk about the decision to make that call. But they're not lying about that. That one absolutely on film had a chance to hit and hit big. I think, like, I don't know. I would be curious. Like, I know Hertz doesn't answer those questions or go into, uh, I do feel like, that's one where he might watch that on film and be like, I could have done a better job there. Uh, and, and again, I thought he played a really clean game. Maybe if there's one play he, he would have wanted to have back, I think that probably is it. So that's one of those where I'm with you. Like, I remember, you know, um, when did the film first start coming out uh, to the public, whatever it was, 10, 15 years ago. And I would always make the mistake of like, oh, you know, Nick Foles should have thrown the ball. Look, this guy's oh, And it's like, and then it took me a while to be like, all right. That's not how this works. Like there are places. And then even when you think, you know, it's like, all right, well, it's like this guy's making the decision in a split second and he's seeing Buda Baker come out of nowhere. So I'll give him a little bit uh, the benefit of that. Like, I don't think it was anything egregious at the same time. I think probably he would admit that's one I would like to have back. And I would say I always do like the 50% rule, Sean, like, all right, if you ran this play 10 times, like. How many times has that happened? And how many, like, I think he, I think that he makes that play more often than not. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I'm not saying it's a nine to one, but I feel like maybe six out of 10 times he's getting through there. And we're saying, wow, you know, that was an explosive play and potentially a touchdown that gave the Eagles a lead. Yeah, I, th- I think that could be right. And and you feel like maybe it, when it comes playoff time, he is able to, to flip that switch just even further where again, to me it was, it's always important, like when you see a mistake later in the game, well, did it happen consistently earlier in the game? And or even if we called this one a mistake, I think that's even a toss up. But again, he was running through gaps in tight space against defenders on the play before right. and like on the last drive. So he's very, very clearly not afraid of contact. Like he is a, a super physical runner and no one needs to question his strength shield. Every year we hear about his squat numbers. Does it go up? Does it go down? You know, that that's on him. I think he's doing a great job. But again, so... I want to see, you know, in that first playoff game is does it like if we get that same exact scenario and we might, depending on the defense that uh, is kind of coming up against the Eagles. I think, you know, maybe he he takes a little bit more of a chance on that. And then obviously it brings up that third and 20, which everyone I mean, I don't know. Cliff had to be like falling out of his chair at this point because you see once they go empty, you know, the defense is going to present that pressure look. And it, and it feels like it feels like the defense has now forced you to to throw that screen unfortunately you get that that kind of Devonte smith uh injury which thankfully it seems like he's doing healthier than i would have expected though as you said these guys give so much effort and they're all superhuman so shout out to them but to me you know it feels like they've kind of lost the benefit of the doubt kind of in these long to go situations a little bit but they've converted on these earlier in the year i think it was right against the bills you had that hurts touchdown obviously that awesome play against the giants they had they ended up going for it on fourth down against the Cowboys on one of their drives. They tried it against the Vikings to actually throw a pass down the field there. So it feels like, hey, we're going to call a play from empty. If they present a pressure look, we're going to go ahead and call to a screen. So it certainly could happen that if they don't have a pressure look, they call an awesome play that we fall in love with. But at that point, I think that the defense understands that and says, why would we play coverage on A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith? Let's put these guys on the line don't even have to blitz we know you're going to kind of check into that situation so that was just a, a little bit of a bummer shield uh just like kind of uh the rest of the game yeah i, I think brian johnson said that that hey they should have pressured pressure look so that's what we went to if they didn't show that but it like it, like it shouldn't be that easy you know like it should not be that easy to saw for the defense to 
get you in that situation on third where all they have to do is show a pressure look and they know you're going to throw a screen and they know they're going to get off the field on third and 20. I mean, come on, like that's making their job way too easy. Early in the game, Sean, they did what we've been asking for on a zero blitz. They're throwing a go to Devontae Smith down the right sideline on third down. It barely missed. It was a nice throw, maybe a little bit off, but I think Devontae Smith would say that's a catch I usually make. Like, this is third and 20. Why are we not getting anything like that? Burr, if they're showing a pressure, look, you've got A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard, and you're throwing a screen to Kenny Gainwell. Come on. You can't be, it can't be that easy to screw the best with you. Uh, so that, that, I mean, that sequence, like, no, it, it was not a great, even though the second down run had a chance, I don't care. Like, sometimes it just feels like they treat Jalen Hurts like he has three career starts. And like Jess, you know, and is playing with like a hurt knee and a hurt elbow and like, and you have nobody at wide receiver. Oh, God forbid we try to do something in the past. Like, it's like you were passing on them all game long. I mean, the, Nick Sirianni was right after the game. The ball barely hit the ground. You were getting whatever you wanted in the passing game. What was the stat you had? 94th percentile, did you say it was? Passing yeah, game for them, right? percentile. 94th percent you had a 94th percentile league-wide passing game and you've got brown goddard and Devonte smith against the 32nd ranked defense in the nfl and it's second and 16 and you're running the ball and throwing a screen i mean come on you're bailing the defense out in that spot that's horrible i don't care what the check was i don't care what look they're showing you you're uh, I'm fine. running on first down that's fine i have no issue with that uh it's first and 20 maybe you pick up eight whatever Second and 16, third and 20, put the ball in the quarterback's hands. Like you said, what's the worst case scenario? I mean, I guess he could take a second. You can't even think about like worst case scenario things there. It's like try to pick up the first down, try to use more clock and try to score a touchdown. That's the goal. Don't play like you have the 32nd ranked offense and you're going up against the Ravens or the Browns in this spot and you're starting a third string quarterback and your best like that's not the situation you're in. So I, if like that, I, you know, overall, again, the offensive performance statistically very good season long, very good. But so many of these moments are just huge head scratchers. And so frustrating uh, to watch, whether you're a fan, whether you're an observer, whatever, where you're looking at the, and I, and I got to believe that upstairs with Howie Roseman and Jeff Reilly, I think that's got to be maybe their bigger frustration than the defense is that like Howie Roseman is probably looking at this. Now, I honestly feel he's probably looking at this going, this is the best offense I have ever put together in my career in the NFL. And that's the sequence you're giving me when we're 10 and a half point favorites in the, uh, you know, and it's the fourth quarter against the Arizona freaking Cardinals uh, here. So um, that like that's like that's going to determine one way or another Nick Sirianni's fate at some point. I don't think it's going to be this year, whether it's years to come or whatever. That kind of thing cannot happen because that's the type of thing that will frustrate uh, Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie and other members of the organization, in my opinion, in my opinion. So there you go. I think that sometimes it feels like they're like, even on just a regular first and 10, right? We say, oh, they start on first and nine, blah, blah, blah. Like, it feels like they're playing for fourth and one where really does, you don't have to do yeah. that. You just don't have to, right? You can play for the kill every single time. And if anything, you really have to do that based on what's going on on the defense. So, you know, maybe it's, it's something, hopefully they, whatever that, that game is kind of informative for them. I do think like, that that late game situation plus the overall kind of defense over the last few weeks it has been 
a little bit of a, a black eye on Jalen Hurts has been playing really, really well. Like I do think he's been doing a good job. I do. Is he hundred percent healthy running? No, but he does look a lot better than he did earlier in the season. And as I said, he's, he's more than happy to kind of put his shoulder down and get through space there. So if I could, give some encouragement like even from a year-to-year basis like the thing that you need so 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 much like you can get defensive regression positive or negative but like your quarterback play is is going to be so important so I'm really really happy if I could be happy about anything that it's not like Hertz has fallen off in really any way I think he's 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 graded out well he's been he's been good on film his numbers are actually pretty solid as well so you're hoping that that's a performance that can can continue obviously next season we see a roster will look different in those things but it's unfortunate that we've we've been spent been having to spend less time on Hertz doing such a good job kind of week over week yeah I'm with you on Hertz I mean he had when did you write your your column I forget what game what what week was that or what game was that after you remember was that like week 11 or something I think it was after the Cowboys game but it felt a shield I mean we had to take that off the front page of the website because it feels like that was the curse <laughs> <laughs> it just it just ruined me I think I wrote it yeah it was it was really after that Cowboys game where I was like oh like okay. th- this guy is doing it. And then, yeah, maybe one or two kind of performances where you see a few more snaps of him feeling a little bit less comfortable. But I mean, I think yeah. that he is he's ready. He's ready to make a playoff run. So yeah, hope, hopefully that everyone else gets on the on the train as well. Yeah, I do think that's the way the season has gone for him. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to be an apologist for the quarterback and he makes a lot of money and all that. But like he he had a he had a very good you know, mostly start to the season for the first, whatever it was, eight, nine weeks, then yes, I do think he took a little dip and, you know, he was, um, it, it was fair to criticize him. You said one to two. I don't, I don't remember how many games it was. We'd have to go back and check our notes. Maybe it was three games in there where you're like, okay, he's not playing as well. And then the last two games, like these have not been on Jalen Hurts. I mean, the previous week, you know, he's, he, he, he throws the pick six, like Dallas got it slipped. That's not, he's throwing the ball. Well, like there's not a lot of throws on film where he like, he missed that throw. Um, you know, are there times where you say, all right, he could have gone here with the ball. Yeah. That's like the case for most quarterbacks. I don't think that's been egregious. Um, uh, and so he's made plays out of structure. And really, like I said, in this game, he was, he was accurate. He was making good decisions. So yeah, he's what eighth in EPA per pass play and 11th in success rate. Like it's pretty good. Like he's got a better EPA per pass play than Lamar, than Patrick Mahomes. Like I know that's, trust me. I know. I understand. Don't tell the whole story uh, here, but just like, you know, that's one way to look at it. Now he's in an offense where he's surrounded by talent, Sean. So that is a, well, don't give him too much credit. But as we've pointed out, he's also in a scheme where they're not making life easier for him. And I don't know how many times we can say it, the easy buttons, the motion, the uh, under center play action, these scheming guys open all these things that the best offenses in the NFL are doing that the Eagles are not doing. Um, that has to be taken into account as well. Like if he was in, I mean, man, if he's like, you can kind of picture him right in like a Miami offense, right? I mean, he probably, if he played, if he played the exact same way, honestly, and he was like his level of play didn't change, but he was in the Miami dolphins environment with that coaching. We're probably talking about him as an MVP candidate, in my opinion, this year. I don't know. I think I think he'd be up there. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Is that an unfair statement? I mean, Shield, we would be we would be looking at like how close of a hotel to the stadium do we get uh like in February in Las Vegas at, at that point if you had that kind of combination. I, yeah, I agree with yeah. you hundred percent. Like, can we divorce a player from a scheme ever? No. Like, do we have to? Right. That's also, always hard. Maybe, yeah. Maybe no. But like what he's doing, I agree with you in the 
the point I think is is hammered home that like his the most important stat to me then is like his completion percentage over expectation is so high and his like expected completion percentage is low. So that right. means obviously the receivers are are doing a good job making those catches, but some of those throws like you can you can pull out way too many clips if it's like wow well, he is you know really able to put the ball on a spot shield. If Devonte Smith comes down with that against Cover Zero. I, I mean, I don't know how we would have started the pod, but I would have been, I would have yeah. had like a horn or something, just like the amount of excitement that was in my body <laughs> after, after I talking know. about it last week Finally. and just coming inches, inches away, you know, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we get one of those, <laughs> hopefully we get one of them. Second play of the game. Was it under center play action or was it an under center run? It was under I, center. I, you know, I, I had it in my notes, but it was definitely, yeah. you know, the eyebrows are getting raised. The eyebrows were getting right. It was again. It was almost a game where I was like, you know, we can we can kind of turn this off and and look somewhere else. But Arizona just had the they had plans of their own. Shoot for the stars. Maybe two under center play action completions in a game. I don't know. It's a new year. Anything is possible. All right. So there you go with Jalen Hurts. All right. Let's finish with some leftovers here, Sean. Uh, we'll see what they do with their lineup here. I mean, like, so the situation's very clear. Um, you know. Uh, you're going to be the five seed unless the Cowboys lose to the commanders and you win, in which case you get to be the two seed. But the two games are happening at the very same time in the late window on Sunday. I think you play your starters, not the injured guys. If there are guys who are banged up or like, all right, you don't have to play that. I think otherwise you play your guys. You keep an eye on the scoreboard. That Cowboys game gets out of hand. Pull every, you tell the backups, be ready to play. You're going to get in there. And then you put them in there. I mean, that's how I would uh, handle it. What do you think? Would you play starters, sit starters, do it the way I described? What do you think? Yeah, I was going through it in my head a little bit. It feels like like this is a team that still needs to iron things out. So you can't just sit everyone at the same time. Like the most, the only way that they're able to win games in the postseason is if all their guys are healthy. But then the only way they actually go far in the postseason is if they have that home field advantage. To me, I think that is like so so important. And to me, it's like well, the expectation of this team at the start of the season is Super Bowl team, this team's goal is not to win one playoff game. So I, I think at that point, I agree 100%. Like, you're you're keeping your eye on the side a little bit. I agree. The players that are on the border, like Devontae Smith, you know, Devontae, go ahead and go ahead and take a rest. You know, get, get the escape right. from on Friday and and maybe take a little bit extra of, of a rest through on Sunday. Uh, hopefully someone, you'll get the communication. What the, What's the score uh, going on in the Dallas-Washington game kind of throughout that. So... Yeah, you know, I, I would love to say just rest your starters, rest every player. You should be able to beat the Giants with your backups. But there's just like, like the juice is worth the squeeze, even if the squeeze is like so, so, so strong right. uh, in hoping that Washington is able to beat Dallas. Well, listen, crazy things happen in week 18. I mean, last year, the Lovey Smith Bowl, which ends up working in their favor. Incredible. But I mean, remember what we were talking about after that game. Eagles fans will remember 2008, you know, that magical final week of the season there. And then you end up playing in the NFC championship game. So weird things happen where you think there's no chance this team's going to lose. Uh, and then they do lose the final week of the season. So yeah, I, I do think it's where I'm with you. Like you can make the argument that the wild card round, it's better to go on the road against the AFC NFC South opponent than play one of these teams like the Rams or the Packers or whoever, uh, at home, but you're not playing to get to the divisional round and you do not. I mean, Go to San Francisco. I don't know what the line's going to be uh, on that game. I don't, man, this defense against that offense would not be pretty. So if you can avoid that, you want to avoid that. All right. Uh, if the Bucks beat here, last playoff scenario is here, Sean. If the Bucks beat the Panthers, and these are all assuming that the NFC East thing doesn't happen for the Eagles and that they're the five seed. If Bucks beat the Panthers, 
Eagles go to Tampa. It's that simple. However, I did see, Sean, Baker Mayfield, I don't think, practiced today with, with rib injury. Like Kyle Trask could be playing in that game. It could get a little spicy. Um, I was looking at this site, Impredictable, that has the betting market stuff. Eagles would only be, as of now, like a one or two point favorite in that game going to Tampa. So that's, uh, that's still the most likely scenario, even if it's not a lock. Or otherwise, Bucks lose to the Panthers and Saints beat the Falcons. Eagles go to Nolens. Longtime listeners will know I love saying Nolens, and I do love Nolens. Very fun city to visit. Uh, Eagles would be less of a favorite there. It would be like a one-point favor, maybe a pick'em. I don't see pick'ems anymore. Do we not just not have pick'ems anymore? I make these picks every week for the ringer, and I swear I haven't. There hasn't been a pick'em all season long, so I don't know if something happened there or what. But that's the other scenario. And then the third one: if the Bucks lose to the Panthers and the Falcons beat the Saints, Eagles go to the ATL, which I also love. You know, visiting that. I'm getting all my beat writer. Listen, the whole it's been the theme the whole time. Which cities do you like to visit? I did like to visit uh the ATL. Eagles would be around a field goal favorite in that game, facing either Desmond Ritter or Taylor Heineke. So uh there you go. If they do win the division, I mean it really could be it could be the Packers, it could be the Rams, it could be the Seahawks, it could be the Vikings. Uh so follow uh our friend again, Dayniz, who I, I retweeted it so you could see it on my timeline. He is the king of all the playoff scenarios, if you're wondering what happens if this, 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 and this happens, uh, he is all over it. You can look at all those in his wonderful color-coded uh, graphic. All right. Anything else, Sean, that you want to finish with? No, I mean, Sheila, if we get uh, Eagles-Falcons, that's like, I mean, you and, and Solak are going are gonna to have to go at it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot of fun. He I gave up on way. the Falcons. He can't jump back on their bandwagon if they somehow... He, he gave, I, I beat him into submission with that. Throughout the sure, I know, the I know he, he hasn't. I know up. he hasn't quit. On, I know he hasn't quit on Justin Fields. He's keeping it secret. He hasn't quit on the Falcons yet either. Just <laughs> you wait. Just you wait. But yeah, I, I have to assume that it's going to be Bucks Eagles, and then there's even like the storylines of the Eagles have, facing the Bucks in the past. Yeah. But like, <laughs> would you make the Eagles favorites against anyone right now? I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah. But look, I I just wanted to like, no one is hoping more than me that this AJ Brown press conference we can look back in the middle of February and be like, this was the magical moment. That saved it for us all. Like, I just want them to keep winning, Shield. That's all, all I want to do. If you are the five people listening that want to be optimistic, I do think it's the, the case is 11 potentially healthy starters on offense. You are going to be more talented than any defense you face in the NFC. And as we said, the quarterback's playing well, and you're going to have an edge with your offensive line. You might have to win games 38-35. That happens sometimes. You might have to, they do have the number one special teams, I think, still in the NFL. Maybe you make a play on special teams and offense and they do something crazy. Maybe they just find like the, I don't know who runs the craziest college scheme uh, in the country and they say, we're implementing this for the playoffs. Maybe they go back to Buddy Ryan's 46. I don't know. They could do anything uh, to create some variance on that side of the ball. But I think that's the case. I don't think it's going to happen. If you ask me. I think they could win that first game, but I think wild card round or divisional round this season is ending, and then we'll see after that. But that is the case for them somehow salvaging this season. All right. Eagles are five and a half point favorite. We haven't talked about the Giants. We don't need to. Eagles are five and a half point favorites. I think that I will probably pick the Giants to cover, but the Eagles to win. But you can find my picks on the ringer.com on Friday. All right, Sean. 
Anything else you need to plug here? What you, I you should listen to shot. Listen, this is I'll be I hadn't tuned in all season long and I saw it come up and I thought I'm gonna check this out. Sean and Tesh on the uh tell people it's stats and scheme, but it's on the Sumer Sports like feed, right? Is that it's a, so it's a show we do that here at the ringer too. It's a different show, but it's on that feed. Is that correct? Yeah, the Sumer Sports Show feed, we do it every Tuesday, stats and scheme. I think, you know, Shield's a smart way to, to approach the game, right? You got you got people that like stats, you got people that like film. And we're, we're working on a playoff preview right now. That'll be be free for everyone. Obviously, stay tuned to everything that everyone at the Ringer is doing. But we'll, we'll give you something nice from, from Sumer Sports as well. I think just a lot of good information. Let's get ready for the playoffs. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll see a nice optimistic quote from me on, on the Eagles offense in there somewhere. I was also on Sumer Sports website this week because i saw someone tweeted out something about dalvin cook and then they said they referenced like sumer sports and i went i go oh my god i didn't know they had like all like the true media stuff i go into i didn't know this is just available some of this for the public everybody could see that on sumer sports very easy nice like the tables easy to sort easy to navigate so uh, i like that too so there you go i'm giving all kinds of plugs you're probably like shield this could have come in like week two that might have been better but let's better late than never again 2024 New Year. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. All right. Thank you, Deshaun. Thank you. Ace producer, Cliff Augustine. I'm Shield Kapati. See what happens. Eagles Giants on Sunday. We'll see what type of drama the rest of the week brings us. I'll be back with Solak on Sunday evening. And then Sean, next week. Listen, next week, we don't even we're not even gonna grind the week 18 film. We're gonna be doing big preview on who the Eagles are playing in the wild card round and what potentially could be their last game of the season, or the start of a magical Super Bowl run, one way or the other. All right, thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon on the Ringers Philly Special. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.